0: Hello, and welcome to Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each week I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. My guest today is John Grimmett, John is a composer, writer, and director whose work has been performed by the Washington National Opera, Fort Worth Opera, Panoramic Voices, Nautilus Music Theater, and the Baltic Chamber Opera. He is a graduate of the Moore School of Music at the University of Houston and NYU's Graduate Musical Theater Writing Program. We're going to talk today about the opera libretto versus the book in musical theater. John, thanks for being here.
1: Happy to be here, thanks for having me.
0: Mm -hmm. So let's get started with our first section, which is the get to know our guest questions. What was your first experience with a musical?
1: You know, I grew up, my parents didn't actually take me to the theater. My mother was a violinist, and um, so I actually started out in like sixth grade playing the trombone. So that's like my introduction into the arts. And uh, then when I got into high school, we would do a musical, um, you know, every other year. And the first musical we did was uh, Anything Goes. And uh, it was a big to do. That was like my freshman year in high school. And I think the first musical I ended up seeing. Uh, was that summer in Galveston, they had these, uh, Galveston, Texas, they had this outdoor musical series, and I think it was something like Brigadoon or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, the smoke rolled in over, and like there's the beach in the background. It was kind of eerie and spooky. And so um, I think that that is probably the first musical experience I had, though uh, I lie and I tell people the first musical uh, experience I had was um, seeing Beauty and the Beast on Broadway and so uh, I, I think that was probably a year or two later um, and I saw that at the Lunt fontan and that was pretty spectacular. Mm-hmm. I think everybody kind of remembers their first big you know Broadway, Broadway musical. Shelley, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Uh, what is the last great musical you saw?
1: The easy thing to say is probably something like Hamilton, um, I saw it at The Public and then I saw the national tour that went through Houston. Um, and I just think Hamilton is great in so many ways, uh, but there are, there are a lot of other pieces that have happened uh, in the last several years. If we're talking mainly about Broadway shows, I think Fun Home was fantastic. Um, I think uh, and that was, what, three years ago or so. But uh, I just think Hamilton, since we're talking about book writing today, like, mm-hmm. it's just kind of perfect structurally.
0: What older or classic show um, did you recently see for the first time? Mm-hmm. And what was your experience with it?
1: Um, that would probably be... I grew up watching the film of Hello, Dolly. Um, and, you know, loving Barbara Streisand and all her f- fabulousness. And... Um, I had never seen the show live and I went and saw it last summer with Donna Murphy and then I saw it a few weeks ago when my friend Holly was in town, we went and saw it with Bernadette Peters and uh, that was just such such a wonderful kind of classic example of, of Broadway at kind of the height of its optimism, you know, 1964 is when Hello Dolly came out. I cried for two and a half hours. <laughs> it was like perfect.
0: So what's a musical people might be surprised to find out that you love? And why would they be surprised? Uh,
1: well, I think I've probably a lot of people who know me well know I can probably be a little. I don't know what the right word is, like hypercritical or bougie or something about you know musicals, mm-hmm. but um, I I am like a not so secret Alan Menken fan, and um, I think that uh, especially the the great tragedy of of. Uh, the American musical, in my opinion, after, uh, you know, you had all of these big mega musicals come in on Broadway, was that Howard Ashman did not live yeah. to fully see um, the fruit of the collaboration that was the Mink and Ashman collaboration, but I just, I think that it is, um, you know, like, uh, The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, uh, Aladdin, you know, those Disney musicals that they were making, you uh, on in in the movies Mm -hmm. uh really are like my um I wouldn't say vices because that sounds like wrong like so it's something I'm hiding but um you know they're just they're really well-crafted stories and you know they they meant a lot to me as I said I didn't go to the theater a lot as a kid so to kind of see these stories come to life through song in kind of a subtle way Mm -hmm. was was neat you know
0: yeah cool um If you could require the president or one of our government (laughs) leaders to see one musical Mm -hmm. not necessarily playing right now, Mm -hmm. what would it be?
1: One of my favorite uh, musicals recently, um, I don't know if this was a year ago. It's hard for me to keep track of the time of when I actually see these things, Mm -hmm. but... When uh, the John Kander musical, uh, Kid Victory, played at the Vineyard. Oh, yeah. um, I think is almost a lesson in empathy that most people should see. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sorry that... um, And actually, I haven't followed the piece since it left the Vineyard, so I don't know if it has a future life or not. Um, But it was just um, so wonderful as an experience because you lived inside sort of this grief bubble and this complicated... Uh, story for those people who don't know what the story's about, it's essentially about a, a young boy who is coming to terms with uh, his sexuality as as being gay, and um, has this like internet uh, romance with a man that I think is twice his age or something. And the man ends up. Well, I don't want to ruin it for the people who may who may see it, but um, it is such a uh, it's a really heavy story, and you know, very typical of of what I think has typified the career of John Kander. Of is you know, should this thing be a musical sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really think that's what musical theater is supposed to teach us. It's supposed to be a lesson in empathy and. Um, I think what's hard about this president and what's hard about our government is we aren't sure that they actually possess capabilities of being empathetic. Mm-hmm. But um, if, if we are to learn something from the theater, even if we are to be entertained and that entertainment brings about uh, some sort of measure of compassion, that piece was really, really moving um, to kind of be in the room and to, to witness.
0: Yeah, I I saw it too, and I was mm-hmm. I was pretty blown away by it. Um, it was really haunting and really interesting, also from like a writing perspective, mm-hmm. just the way it, it's structured and how it gives out information. And um, I
1: didn't think I was going to like it. Yeah, ten minutes in, I was sitting here going like, kind of, what is this thing? Yeah, and then when you it sneaks up on you, mm-hmm. you know, there was there's there's a surprise. In the way the piece is structured and presented to the audience, that you're going whoa, you know, it's one of these things that uh, if you ever read these poems, that you read them one way, and then it says now start at the bottom line and read it backwards, and you read it backwards, and it has a completely different meaning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, For me, that's kind of what Kid Victory was like because uh, you could understand it was like you weren't you weren't quite supposed to know like i didn't give you everything until right. much later and then it illuminated kind of that experience
0: let's uh get to our topic sure. of opera libretto versus musical theater book
1: and i should start off by saying that you know i'm not a historian uh so if i have like if i throw a number out there or something you know Uh, Somebody could very well look it up on Wikipedia, and I could be wrong. I'm not a historian; I don't have these things. It's just kind of my experience uh, in doing a little bit of, of both, of of living, you know, kind of straddling both worlds. Mm
0: So great. Well, let's keep that in mind as we discuss. (laughs) (laughs) Let's start with a kind of a broad definition of each. What do you see as the general differences between a musical book and an opera libretto.
1: Sure. So, um, I think, historically, if we had to kind of boil it down to two very kind of simple ways of viewing uh, the libretto versus the musical book, an opera libretto is uh, the skeleton for which the music must hang. So, that's how most, um, and, the, and the opera's focus is, is purely musical. So, that's kind of like 300 years of opera in a nutshell and of course there was uh, incredible arguing uh, that happened in the 17th and 18th century about what should opera be and you know kind of what is the role of the librettist and um, surprisingly when I when I started writing uh, opera libretti um, I was like well surely somebody's written about this um, but there's actually not a lot written about the craft of mm-hmm. Of making uh, a libretto. Um, Consequently there is a lot of thought and discussion and I think it's because we're living in a time where the American musical which is when I talk about book writing I should make the caveat that I'm really talking about American musicals and as I'm talking about opera libretti kind of the development of American opera, because that's kind of my interest. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it would be difficult. We'd be here for many hours talking about, you know, <laughs> the, the libretti of Wagner versus, you know, DuPont and the people who wrote with Mozart. Um, but the, the musical book establishes, or what it tries to do is establish a unity of story in all elements, uh, music, lyrics, and book, or what they call the script um and the aims of a lyric theater so what is the lyric theater um idea well i think it depends on who you ask i think a lyric theater is one where um you know the song is a device that moves the story forward mm-hmm. um arias and operas um not, don't always function that way. Right. Um, they kind of describe an emotional moment, and depending on what period you are in musical history, the music allows for that emotion to really come through to the audience. So I think if we were to look at opera libretti as a musical, is the skeleton on which the musical flesh must hang, on one category, on the other hand, the musical book tries to integrate um, the book, the lyrics, the music together, um, you can start to kind of see patterns of what has emerged throughout um, history. Uh, opera libretti writing has a rich 400-year history. Uh, really, you can start to see the American book evolve at the you know first half of the 20th century mm-hmm. um, up until now. So, kind of the ideas on what the musical should be, are, are fairly new in, right. in comparison to what uh, what exists uh, for the opera libretti.
0: Yeah. So you're saying, um, you know, focusing on American opera, Is mm-hmm. there are there distinguishing characteristics of American opera libretti?
1: Um, that's actually a great question. <laughs> uh, I, I think that um, the difference uh is is very recent um i would say no uh prior to probably the last 20 years mm-hmm. um you had you know ned rorum is a, a fantastically known American composer, known mainly for art song. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he goes on record saying, uh, you know, I know how to pick a text. Um, and so a lot of his art songs are, you know, poetry from all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, again, the music remains sort of the central focus on how, how does the music illuminate the text. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in terms of American... Uh, the hallmarks of, of American libretti, uh, I'd have to think about that one a little bit more, yeah. um, because I think now there's, uh, you know, there there are so many librettists and composers hanging out together, yeah. uh, and that wasn't the case 20 years ago, right. and it wasn't the case until, you know, people like uh, Opera America and and uh, came about and started putting composers and librettists together and started commissioning programs, you know, opera companies started commissioning programs, um, like they have at, at Washington National Opera and Fort Worth Opera and, and some of these places that I've been, um, so I think it would be it would need further study as to kind of what makes these things uniquely American. And an interesting discussion is to look at like um, you know what was Mozart doing, um, you know, with with uh, Lorenzo DuPont is like you know that the structure of that libretto followed the structure of whatever. The musical convention was happening mm-hmm. so um, it really was less about is this a an Italian how what's the Italian school of libretti writing versus how do the words fit inside of you know this form that mm-hmm. whatever this aria that Mozart has written and repeated and done all. And how do how do the words work with that? And how do the words work over these flights of uh, you know notes? And um, how does it work when he decides to use the different types of recitative? You know, in the opera, uh, it's it it becomes very specific. I think mm-hmm. to kind of the form and how the music is written.
0: What would you say the role of music is in establishing uh, both an opera and a musical?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about the musical for a second because I don't want to. If there are two children, I don't want to ignore one over it's the weird. other. Uh, but like I, I believe that music in a musical, deciding where in the story the the characters sing um, is probably rule number one about how why should this be a musical versus. Um, why this should be just a play or a novel or a poem or whatever kind of the method you tell the story. And for the American musical, the song has always been um, about an emotional moment that also propels the story forward. And this, this this idea started, of course, with Oscar Hammerstein. Um, and, in his collaborators, whether it was Jerome Kern with Showboat in 1927 or with Richard Rogers, um, in Oklahoma in 1943, but you agree with that? Do you, I mean, you're also a writer. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that's kind of the use of song in a musical?
0: Yeah. I mean, in the way that, uh, we kind of experience book
1: today. Yeah, yeah um, exactly.
0: As opposed to like a more review format
1: sure. and all that we're kind of glossing over operetta, right? So, like, Mm -hmm. Gilbert and Sullivan. When you're thinking about, like, language in music, Gilbert and Sullivan is just kind of unparalleled. And um, to me, it was kind of that gap. Like, Gilbert and Sullivan seemed like a natural gap for this group of American writers, Mm -hmm. you know, who also, um, especially Hammerstein, who had written operetta, you Mm -hmm. know, and he was steeped in that tradition um, to kind of take songs um, and, and say, well, this is how they function in the musical. It had these staples of structure, opening number, and there, there would be a scene, and then a dilemma would be created, and this song would happen, and uh, depending on who the character was, you might get a song that's um, very upbeat and very flashy um, and say, I want this, or you might get a song that's very droll. Um, if in the case of you know, Les Mis, you get the whole... Uh, I dreamed a dream and my life isn't what it is going to be and I'm going to go die now while my daughter can go on, you know, and mm-hmm. it starts, kicks off the whole story and so it's, it. Um, but, but, you know, there are these placeholders that happen um, and, and this is kind of how the structure ebbs and flows and, um, and it wasn't always like that mm-hmm. uh, too. I mean, I actually think what's so interesting having seen My Fair Lady recently mm-hmm. is like, there's no opening number to My Fair Lady and it's kind of like, but but it's like, There is an opening number, but it's not an opening number in the traditional sense of like, hey, look at us, you know?
0: Right. And I've noticed that a lot of musicals, like very popular musicals mm -hmm. like that, don't have that kind of opening number that we're taught to, you know, expect.
1: They don't need tradition. (laughs)
0: Right, right. Well, like Bye Bye Birdie starts with just Rosie singing English teacher. Sure, And like, there's no... I mean, there's that little, like, we love you, Conrad section, but...
1: But what, what what it does, however, I mean, is it... They all function, actually, the same way. Right. Which is, they set up the rules uh, for the audience. I don't think that it's actually different in a lot of uh, opera libretti. I think it's actually, you know, it many, many examples in opera do the exact same thing. But the music, uh, what I think a layman might do when they think of opera and they think of musical, the most obvious thing is like, well, there's music all the way through in one. And, you know, there are songs in the other. Mm -hmm. And that's actually, you know, not untrue, but it's not a holistic view to kind of what the whole thing is. Because there's music that runs all the way through in a lot of operas, um, that that tends to be why people think at least in my opinion, why people think, oh, well, it's all about the music. Mm -hmm. Um, Because people would go to the opera um, not necessarily to be told a story. Um, Monteverdi... uh, Started off doing Orfeo. I mean, how many like Baroque opera composers have written on the Orpheus myth? You Mm -hmm. know, and how many people knew the Orpheus myth going into the theater? Um, Many of them did, but they were interested in what the the musical treatment of this story Um, versus um, you know Oklahoma when uh, this cowboy rides out and starts singing about. Oh, what a beautiful morning! Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of different. Like, well, I don't necessarily know this character, you know, and it's kind of more of a, of a discovery. And I think what you have in opera, um, especially in 20th century American opera, um, is kind of this delving into, um, telling stories in a different way. I mean, there's no, there's really no musical evolution. I think that has happened so quickly as. What happened in the 20th century So mm-hmm. there's You just kind of see things explode All over the place mm-hmm. um, When it comes to music and, and ways to use the music As um, As a way to structure the story mm-hmm. In opera you, know, you mean In opera And in musicals I mean I mean it's uh, uh, What was You know what was really the first Sung Or, or, or uh, Through composed Musical, I mean, was it late? It, it was something way before Les Mis, You know, it was like there was something that was happening uh, before then. Um, you know, hair happened is mm-hmm. actually. I think hair was nineteen sixty seven, and it wasn't. It was more than just rock music or writing in the rock idiom. It 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 was. Uh, we're going to take some fairly incomprehensible stuff, yeah. and we're going to you know that you may not make sense listening. To it um, on your record player, but we're going to put it up on stage, and it's going to create an experience for you. We kind of have a an obligation now, standing where we're standing, to look back and say, "How is music really functioning in these pieces? Mm-hmm. You know what? What is? You know why? Why shouldn't this be a play? Mm-hmm. Right? So something that's really interesting. My my playwriting teacher was Edward Albee, uh, who was notorious for writing one of the most failed Broadway shows of all time, which was Breakfast at Tiffany's. Mm -hmm. I think that was 1962, early 60s, or around the time, right before Virginia Woolf. It was either right before Virginia Woolf Woolf, or right after. And the producer was David Merrick. And um, David Merrick fired Abe Burroughs, uh, who wrote Guys and Dolls, and uh, the book to Guys and Dolls. And uh, the, the composer was Bob Merrill musical lyrics by Bob Merrill. And so what Edward did is he came in and he wrote this play that was like an Edward Albee play. Like had um, uh, uh, Mary Tyler Moore, who was playing Holly Golightly, uh, had her saying, you know, uh, taking the Lord's name in vain and doing all, you know, Edward Albee things. And then all of a sudden a Bob Merrill song would appear, you know. <laughs> and then we'd go back to our Edward Albee play. And so what uh, that did is it kind of proved a point that Music, musicals can't just be these songs that are strung together by scenes they mm-hmm. kind of, it, it is striving towards this idea of unity right. that the music and the lyrics in the book kind of have to function in this way uh, Edward also uh, penned an opera libretto with his partner at the time uh, William Flanagan uh, and the opera was called Bartleby and it was based on Melville's Bartleby the Scrivener oh. I, I dare say that you know as much as Edward knew about music I mean you could talk about uh, he was a wonderfully musical mind um and understood the importance of music when you read an Edward Albee play you're it's like listening to music mm-hmm. you know uh our great playwrights are like that um and uh I mean you're a big Thornton Wilder fan so right. I mean like the best uh Thornton Wilder uh, play, of course, and the most well-known is *Our Town*, and it's so beautiful and poetic in its way. And yet, going back to Ned Roram again, mm-hmm. and I hope he doesn't take offense uh, with me if he hears me say this, but like mm-hmm. uh, it, *Our Town* as an opera yeah. is not lacks something, and mm-hmm. the and what it lacks is everything that the play possesses. And um, it's it's kind of beautiful in its own. Thing. And so I think that it's hard then to take uh, to take that and add music to it because right. it, it, it does something spiritually that mm-hmm. I can't quite, I don't even really try to understand because it's like, well, our town has music of our own. Why are we trying to now add music, right. <laughs> make this an opera, right. or make it a musical? God forbid, our town the musical. Coming to Broadway soon, you know? <laughs> it's like, that's going to be the next someone's right. idea. But, you know, um, so I think that... that understanding music on those levels is incredibly important to how you're going to tell this story. What is the structure of the story? Where do the songs happen? Um, should it be through composed? Um, I believe fun home actually is an example of a, of a musical that is mostly through composed. Mm. Um, I don't believe it's completely through composed. Um, Hamilton is one that's mostly through composed, uh, for various reasons. Um, and would we call those things operas? Would we call uh, rent an opera? Right. So what is what makes a musical a musical and an opera an opera?
0: Right. Well that was kind of my next question was oh, good. like what are <laughs> what are some musicals that are maybe more like operas and why would they be?
1: Um, well, I guess you would first have to say what what is it that we're looking at in an opera, right? Yeah. Um, if you look at musical comedy um, of the 1940s, um, mainly Rodgers and Hart, you know, you would have these songs. What was that that song that uh, is in, is it... Uh, uh, married many men, not one of them. Uh, I bumped off every, every one of them. What have to keep my love alive. Oh. That, that's the one to keep my love alive, yes. and it's about her yes. killing off all her husbands, right, right? right? And that's the gimmick and the joke. And what's funny about that lyric is like it just gets more and more absurd and more and more funny. Um, and that's the joke in, in, um, that, that song, uh, in opera Bufa in the 18th century, um, or the 19th century, might've been 19th century, I don't know, again, not a music historian, but, um... The joke was typically um, it, it it was it felt more it, or it feels to me like it's more like Commedia dell'arte, you mm-hmm. know. It's more like here are these trope characters. This one is always sleeping with all the other characters, mm-hmm. you know. And and is he going to get caught by this woman? Is he going to be right. caught by this woman? Is his plan going to come out? And then there's an evil mustache twirling villain, and you know it's it's satisfying in the way that uh, the comedy can consistently go check 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 check. You know, here are all the things that, that make up a comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what musical comedy does is it picks one moment. Um, you know, Adelaide's Lament in Guys and Dolls is, is an example of, a, of a, a book musical, a musical comedy... Um, but where like we learn about this character, I guess, what would that be? It was, it's like somewhere between an, I want, and an I am song, you Mm -hmm. know? Uh, but like we learn so much about Adelaide in that moment and it propels the story forward. So we don't necessarily need a whole number, um, like we do in opera or, you know, there's a lot of, Mm, chord oh yes I'm here my love and another chord and I'm hiding in the closet the next mm-hmm. thing and it, it, it's long and drawn out the American musical moves through time obviously quicker right. um, than a four-hour opera mm-hmm. um, so I think that that is you know that doesn't necessarily answer your question because I'm not sure like what musicals would be like operas like in terms of content I think that, like, uh, you know, like Sweeney Todd gets done a lot by by opera companies. Carousel gets done a lot uh, Mm -hmm. by opera companies. West Side Story just got done at 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 Houston Grand Opera, and um, I think like what makes those kind of crossover pieces is the weight of kind of the story Mm -hmm. um and that's what makes living in this time particularly interesting because we have writers who will take the most mundane interaction what you might consider the most mundane interaction and explode it into this incredibly emotional experience Um, and that's what opera used to do is you know nobody was talking about love in the 17th century or the 18th century you know uh, when I used to teach Romeo and Juliet to middle schoolers it was like you know how we talk about love is not how these people talked about love and so to them to watch a love story in an opera uh, you know through song was this emotionally transcendent experience uh, that they weren't getting anywhere else and um, I think we've just we're evolving emotionally so that now these musicals um, thank you mr. sonheim uh, that that really dig into emotional complexity can be done almost like as as opera pieces or mm. have feel like they have the weight of opera yeah. and I'm not I'm not saying that opera is even uh, weightier than musicals. I think right. I Think that there's a lot of musicals that are better written than the libretto of Cosi tutte. I mean, which is actually was like one of my favorite operas ever because I yeah. just love the music the and I didn't amazing. know it was in yeah. Italian. I didn't know what they were singing. I was just like, oh my God, it's so wonderful and I had concocted this whole story as to what it was <laughs> and then I read the libretto and I was like, what is this? Yeah. Like, this is not very good. Right, right. <laughs> so, um, so I feel like uh, it's an incredible time to kind of be you know, to be here where you can where you can write um, stories that can kind of live in both places. Yeah. Um, but it still doesn't answer the question, like what is the opera versus yeah. what is the musical?
0: Yeah, it's interesting because um, I was just thinking about when I saw Miss Saigon last year when it came back, and, and of course that's you know taken from an opera, but I um, taken from Madame Butterfly, and mm-hmm. I wanted. I just was like watching it, and I wanted it to be like even bigger than they were doing it. I mean, sure. and that's pretty dramatic—just huge emotion, um, even more. And I was like, "Wow, I just really want this to be an opera." Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and and what you know, kind of performance is something we haven't talked about at all. Right. The voices are different. You know, it's yeah. it's like they're gonna be what they are. Um, musical theater voices are. Hopefully designed to perform eight shows a week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, opera voices are, it's physically using different muscles. Right. Um, and I feel like um, they, uh, that's one big difference about mm-hmm. people. And this goes back to this idea of like the lyric theater. Mm-hmm. Is for me, um, Rose's Turn, which is a perfect song, mm-hmm. um, is is how Sondheim and Julie Stein put together and created a, a moment that that didn't have to be sung to the heights of Leontine Price. Right. Or, or uh, Maria Callas or, you know, the great opera divas. I was watching a video of Leontine Price singing um, I think it was her final performance uh, from Aida. And um, it was like, she walked out and she sings this note and then she's transfixed and the audience applauds for 14 minutes Mm. or something. You know, it's like that's how long they were able to stay in this moment. And I think what musicals do is, again, it's shorter, it's more succinct. There are more turns. There's more um, engagement. Mm -hmm. And almost, it it just happens quicker, I think. Yeah,
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point. Just like the time... Yeah, I think it has moves.
1: I think it has to it's like um, you know Sondheim talks a lot about how lyrics exist in time right, right? right. they have to exist in time otherwise uh, poetry you know poetry can in novels can kind of engage in this flight of description um, but lyrics have to be, exist in a very uh, succinct way to almost to where one word or one syllable uh, dictates the rest of the lyric you know or the rest of the song or whatever the music's doing this unity um and and so i think just by the nature of that um that is why uh that's a main difference between kind of the physical construction of of how people perceive you know storytelling in time in opera Mm -hmm. you know it's like oh i can sit and listen to her sing this note for you know 10 minutes
0: Let's move on to our uh, next section, which is why is this so good? Okay. Uh, Where we, uh, you know, take a song from any musical and we talk about why it's so good. Sure. Um, So you have selected uh, from Michael John LaCuse's Hello Again, Mm -hmm. the montage slash safe slash (laughs) the one I love. Right. Um, So yeah, why don't you just uh, start by talking about uh, why you chose this?
1: Uh, in 2011 before I entered that was the year I entered uh, NYU in the spring that's when the transport group was doing hello again Oh yeah and so I went and saw it this blew my mind because it was in a space where it's completely raw and and um, you know, the actors could walk up in front of you. Uh, somebody had sex on the table. Well, not actually, but, you know, right, like right. the characters. It's all, it, the piece is all about sex, you know. So they, 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 you are all sitting around these little tables and you could participate fully in it. And it was so exciting. And um, the reason I picked this piece to talk about today is because we are talking about book writing and kind of structure and function. And to look at, at, at Schnitzler's Laurent's and to see the adaptation um, that Michael John has done uh, is is kind of a lesson in creating rules mm-hmm. in the theater. Uh, Michael John is a master at the short form musical. Um, he has, uh, you know, I think historically in his career, this piece comes after First Lady Suite, maybe. Um, and so this kind of was an extension of you know first lady sweeter these little vignettes um this piece is actually a vignette but it serves in a larger function uh the the structure of lorand is scene one character a and character b scene two character b character c scene three character c character d and it rotates until you get to scene 10 or 11 or i don't remember and 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 character a comes back again for right. people who don't know kind of the structure um, so th- those are the rules of the piece, which I think are pretty clever. Mm-hmm. Michael John uh, added a layer in saying, okay, we're going to visit a different decade in America in each little story. And how do we weave through time became part of the rules of the piece. Mm-hmm. So for me, I was just sitting here going like, oh, there's so many little Easter eggs you know, uh, to to this piece because... It's clever, it's exciting, um, it moves through uh, time almost in a seamless way. And that's kind of what, if, if uh, you're a book writer, you're taking your audience on a journey with you. And if you're constantly in the book, uh, which I've seen a lot of musicals like this, not necessarily recently, but where it's like, if only I loved you, if I love you, and I'm not mm. saying that's how care. <laughs> the right, bench right. scene starts, which actually the bench scene is like another perfect part of American book writing, but um, but it, it it you become conscious that a song is starting, right. and Hello Again you don't. It's like an experience from the beginning to the mm-hmm. end, and um, this particular song takes place in the 1970s, and um, the two characters uh that are in this scene uh the scene before it, i believe takes place in the era of the of i think is the 19 teens where the titanic has just sunk Mm -hmm. and then we yum in into the montage because he sings safe is uh i survived a shipwreck i want to know every single beautiful thing about you yeah well i survived a shipwreck yeah that
0: was sunday night I survived a plane crash,
1: that was Monday night, and Tuesday dropped some acid, and Thursday went to sleep,
0: I dreamed that I was floating, floating, floating in Richard Nixon's pool. I don't know
1: how I get to where I don't know where I'm at before this time to think I either crash or sink I don't know how I get to where I don't know where I'm at
0: there's something wrong with that there's something wrong with that there's something wrong there's
1: something wrong there's something wrong when all I want is somewhere safe basically these two characters um, are hooking up at kind of like a gay disco mm-hmm. in 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 the 1970s. So, added onto the the Laron structure and kind of this overall structure of the piece of moving throughout decades, Michael John has now added another rule. And the rule is we're going to talk about this particular moment in the show. ...through the lens of a filmmaker. So we have this kind of cut to... Mm-hmm. ...and then guy cruising in the bar... ...and he finds the guy... ...and then they go back to his place... ...and they sing, you know... ...I survived a shipwreck... ...and then they have uh, sex... ...and then the ballad... ...which is the one I love... Mm-hmm. Uh, ...occurs... ...and it's incredibly empty. It's devastating... ...which is kind of the theme of the entire... ...of, of Hello Again. Right. What is sex... Uh what is information and what is love?
0: The one I love kisses me and I'm say The one I love touches me touches me and I flow
1: think the track that's recorded on the original cast album is like 10 minutes long
0: it is, and yeah. you
1: you can you can listen to the entire thing you can plot the entire thing as it's happening this was a master class for me as an as a young writer was to see hello again and see like how does song function in this uh piece how does book writing happen how does lyric uh material uh, how do lyrics and songs function in a way um, that uh, are different from, say, opera. There's
0: also something with like the music that happens too. Yeah. I think that, um, like these these different musical styles come yes. in and out. That's um, right. And like there's like a kind of like a conversational style that while they're kind of back and forth, and then like it gets very lyrical with yes. like the when you get to the the one I love. Um, and I feel like that also is helping like guide you through the different parts of the scene that's right what is
1: happening and it's like it's i mean how do we talk about music Mm -hmm. you know like in a musical theater like what it's doing to us emotionally right so there's this part in in this piece where jackie the angel says and then you have this long note cut to and, like, when you think about it, like, as music intervallically, um, as a composer, if you were to look at the score and say, like, oh, this is what he's doing,
0: yeah,
1: um, you can dissect it in that way, but really as dramatically looking, interpreting the music. It, it's something much creepier, something much more intangible, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of resonates inside you and shakes you and said, These people are hollow, these people are empty. Yeah. Um, you I know. love
0: that line in it um, where he asks what he does, where yes. the, um, the, the movie, he's a screenwriter? Yes, he, that's he's right. a screenwriter. Yeah. He asks Jackie what he does, and Jackie says, I temp. And then he says, But what do you really want to do? He says, Temp. You're going to grab us a cab or what? Cut to
1: Later Home Mine
0: Futon Candles Incense Reefer And Jackie the angel
1: says I'm stoned What do you do, Jackie? Tenth Close up, me what is it you really want to do? Tim. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think I think too what you know what you just said is like there's so much humor yeah. in in this in these portraits of these people that are kind of um, looking to be fulfilled mm-hmm. and you know I, I think too one thing that where opera has a pitfall like or what people perceive as a pitfall of opera is like. Oh, won't she just die already? She's been singing, you know, it's not over till the fat lady sings, is mm-hmm. the most famous adage. And it's like, you know, she, somebody who is dying or or is uh, perceiving grief will go on and on and on about it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of humorless. But but um, that's not true. Right. Again, I think it's about this sort of, in musicals, you have the ability to drop a line like that this Mm -hmm. one-liner what does he really want to do Tim you know the audience cackles and then automatically we're on to the next emotional thing uh whereas a joke in opera may take longer to do
0: so I want to wrap up with um what I call something wonderful um and just where we uh kind of talk about something upcoming or something current we just saw that we're excited about um could be a show could be something you well, read or
1: it doesn't matter that i hate uh cats which i do but uh <laughs> it's like it doesn't matter because right. that's somebody's favorite musical um and especially to a young person uh cats can change the world mm-hmm. uh now you would hope that there are other things that will continue to change their world Uh, For me, wrapping up what I said about Kid Victory, Kid Mm -hmm. Victory changed my world when I saw it. Um, You know, things, if we allow them, uh, will continue to change us. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like what I am most excited about is not necessarily one show or one person or one writer, but just kind of that we live in this time where uh, so many people... Uh, can share the stories uh, that maybe they wouldn't share.
0: I will also add, since we were talking about Kid Victory, and I'm so glad we did, because, yeah. you know, as I said, that I really enjoyed that show, but there is a there is a cast album of that show, so <gasps> yeah. I will uh, just, my Something Wonderful is, um, yeah, go, go download the cast album and uh, experience Kid Victory, although it won't be the same as being in the room with it. And share
1: it with somebody who means something to you.
0: you Yeah, at least you can get a sense of of the show and, and, you know, what they were doing with it. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. Please rate this podcast on iTunes, subscribe, share it with your friends, and like our brand new Facebook page, Scene to Song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald, and check back here in two weeks for our next episode.